political friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into New World next week. I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. It's been a long fight, and we had an outcome that could affect future FBI behavior. We've got that story, plus the not-so-secret history of Fort Detrick. But first, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. claims to know who really killed his father, and he is out to prove it. So we've got this full article, actually, from TheMindUnleashed.com. I originally saw it on The Daily Fail. But let's just, I think, let RFK Jr.'s words speak for themselves. As he wrote, which I find, you know, hilarious irony that people write big missives on the photo app called Instagram, but here it is. Thane Eugene Caesar died September 11th in the Philippines. Compelling evidence suggests that Caesar killed my father. On June 5th, 1968, Caesar, an employee in a classified section of Lockheed's Burbank facility, was moonlighting as a security guard at the Ambassador Hotel. He landed the job about one week earlier. Caesar waited in the pantry as my father spoke in the ballroom, then grabbed my father by the elbow and guided him toward Sirhan. With 77 people in the pantry, Every eyewitness said Sirhan was always in front of my father at a three to six foot distance. Sirhan fired two shots toward my father before he was tackled. From under the dog pile, Sirhan emptied his eight chamber revolvers, six more shots in the opposite direction. Five of them striping, of course, bystanders and one, bystanders, one going wild. By his own account, Caesar was directly behind my dad, holding his right elbow with his own gun drawn when my dad fell backwards on top of him. Caesar repeatedly changed his story about exactly when he drew his weapon. According to Kerner, Thomas, and Noguchi, all four shots that struck my father were contact shots fired from behind my dad with the barrel touching or nearly touching the body. As my dad fell, he reached back and tore off Caesar's clip-on tie. Caesar sold his 22 to a co-worker weeks after the assassination, warning him it had been used in a crime. Caesar lied to police, claiming he'd disposed of the gun months before the assassination. Caesar was a bigot who hated the Kennedys for their advocacy of civil rights for blacks. I had plans to meet Thane Eugene Caesar in the Philippines last June until he demanded a payment of $25,000 through his agent, Dan Moldea. Ironically, Moldea penned a meticulous and compelling indictment of Caesar in a 1995 book and then suddenly exculpated him by fiat in a bizarre and nonsensical final chapter. And as RFK Jr. writes, finally, police have never seriously investigated Caesar's role in my father's killing. James? What an interesting turn of events, one that I think has been telegraphed for some years. I mean, we know that RFK Jr. has been talking a about this for some time and had met with Sirhan Sirhan and said he didn't believe he'd killed his father, etc. So we knew RFK Jr. was heading in this direction, but uh, here comes as you say, the Instagram post <laughs> announcing, oh, Thane Eugene Caesar is probably the guy who killed my dad. Anyway, uh, yeah, it is kind of interesting the way that that's, uh, that that has dropped. And there's a couple of things to say about this. One is that, okay, great. So now the general public knows what RFK researchers have known for years, that Thane Eugene Caesar is almost certainly the one who pulled the trigger, the security guard who was called in at the last minute, who hated RFK and uh, who was standing behind him with his gun drawn in pictures that were then confiscated by the FBI and never used in the Sirhan Sirhan trial, went missing for decades, turned up in Sacramento, and the key shots were all missing, the ones showing Caesar with his gun drawn, etc., etc. Uh, RFK dies with uh, Caesar's necktie in his hand, all of this. Um, but anyway, people have known about this, researchers have known about this for decades, now the general public is being introduced to it. But the real question is, okay, now you know the name. 
So what does that tell you? And the answer, if you don't know anything else about the plot or about who this guy was or who he was working for or what happened, is it tells you nothing, essentially. And this is a point that was drawn out in excellent detail in a book that I would urge you to read or listen to called American Tabloid by James Elroy. I did do a uh, film literature New World Order on it, where he lays out in this case in terms of the JFK assassination plot, that the, the, in just stark, really gritty detail, that you can know the name of the person who pulled the trigger, but that doesn't tell you anything about the plot. And if you know everything about the plot, then the name of the person who was hired to pull the trigger is almost secondary. It's almost like that isn't even, that isn't even the point. And uh, I, I, again, I think American Tabloid does a great job of bringing that out in, in a great degree of detail. So, so here we go. We know the name of the person who pulled the trigger, but what does that tell us about the assassination of RFK? Not very much. And very much like the JFK assassination, I think a great window into the story for people who are looking for one is the Patsy. In JFK's case, it was Oswald. How did he do all this stuff? That it, the, how was he waltzing in and out of the Soviet Union in the height of the Cold War and fair play for Cuba and all of that stuff, all that nonsense and shenanigans? In this case, it's Sirhan Sirhan. Well, here's the Palestinian who was really mad at the Kennedys for being against the Palestinians, apparently, who shot RFK. And he, look, it said RFK must die in his diary. I mean, open and shut case, right? He had the gun, he fired shots. No one disputes that. Well, there's much more to the Sirhan Sirhan story, and that is something that I drew out in detail in episode 220 of The Corbett Report, so we can direct people there to start getting a handle on this case. But as I say, you know the name of the person who pulled the trigger, but that doesn't tell you anything about the plot itself. RFK is as stinky a PSYOP event as 9-11, JFK, OKC, like those bigger cases. As soon as you start to dive in, you, you yourself, you're going, I can't believe this has gone on for as long as it has. It's it's just as obvious of an operation. James, I think probably back when you first made that American tabloid episode of Film Literature in the New World Order, we probably talked about that at the time. I picked up that book from Elroy back when it came out. That I was probably I was probably still in high school and actually it was it was difficult for me to read. I found it going over my head. I couldn't get the slang and all the stuff. So actually doing it audiobook style would be a highly recommended way to kind of dive into that work. The other thing about uh, books and authors, man, I like Dan Muldea's work. I didn't realize he was kind of sketchy. I found his two books, Dark Victory, Ronald Reagan, MCA and the Mob, and Interference, How Organized Crime Influences Professional Football, to be pretty decent work. I'll have to dive into that bit about him being essentially Caesar's agent so to speak. Oh, yeah, that's how we kick off Agent James, James, he gave, he gave Caesar a polygraph test, and he passed the polygraph test, so that was good enough for Maldia. <laughs> uh, no, uh, no bite marks or fantastic you know, hair analysis to go along, to go along with that. <laughs> good grief. Episode 385 of New World next week, and we head into another kind of... Uh, James, again, it's it's pretty much it's all coming out, whether it's all coming out as the limited hangout and they just want that clicks from a culture that is obviously very hungry for conspiracy research, as we, have of course, been feeding them for the last 14 years. Mainstream media only got into the game in the last couple of years. Stunningly, via Politico.com, the secret history of Fort Detrick, the CIA's base for mind control experiments. In 1954, a prison doctor in Kentucky isolated seven black inmates and fed them double, triple, quadruple doses of LSD for 77 days straight. No one knows what became of the victims. 
They may have died without knowing they were part of the CIA's highly secretive program to develop ways to control minds, a program based out of a little-known army base with a dark past, Fort Detrick. Suburban sprawl has engulfed Fort Detrick, an army base 50 miles from Washington in Maryland in the town of Frederick. And longtime Media Monarchy listeners know I've got my own history in Frederick. 76 years ago, however, when the Army selected Dietrich as the place to develop its super-secret plans to wage germ warfare, the area around the base looked very much different. In fact, it was chosen for its isolation. That's because Fort Dietrich, still thriving today, is the Army's principal base for biological research, and now encompassing nearly 600 buildings on 13,000 acres, was for years the nerve center of the CIA's hidden chemical and mind control empire. Dietrich is today one of the world's cutting-edge laboratories for research into toxins and antitoxins, the place where defenses are developed against every plague from crop fungus to Ebola. Its leading role in the field was widely recognized. For decades, though, much of what went on at the base was a closely held secret. Directors of the CIA mind control program MKUltra, which used Dietrich as a key base, destroyed most of their records in 1973. Some of its secrets have been revealed in declassified documents through interviews and as a result of congressional investigations. Together, those sources reveal Dietrich's central role in MKUltra and in the manufacture of poisons intended to kill foreign leaders. So the author of that story in Politico, and I'm not actually, it might even just be some of it as an extract, a writer named Stephen Kinzer, K-I-N-Z-E-R, has a new book called Poisoner-in-Chief, Sidney Gottlieb and the CIA Search for Mind Control. New York Post has an article on it as well, The Mad Scientist Behind America's Mind Control Quest with LSD. And James, before I throw it right back to you, a little bonus synchronistic thing for today as we're taping this episode today. Whenever this morning on my morning show, it is the 18th anniversary of the first mailings of those anthrax letters just after 9-11. James. All right. Well, you, you did say stunningly via Politico, but I will note that this is authored by Stephen Kinzer, who I, I will always give a hat tip to for being the only mainstream mainstreamy journalist, uh, former New York Times correspondent, emphasis on former, uh, who actually had the cojones to po- point out the Syria debacle for what it was and to call the terrorists in Syria terrorists and to call white, the White Helmets Al-Qaeda. Uh, so Kinzer, I mean, has done some good work in recent years, at least on that subject. So I'm not going to dismiss uh, his work offhand and I'm not going to judge his book by its cover. But I will say that this report, at least the report in Politico, I haven't read the full book yet, I do plan to do so, but at least this report in Politico is the very definition of limited hangout. Uh, This paints the CIA and its mind control experiments and everything very firmly in the past. This is 50-year-old stuff, guys, and it was all headed by Sidney Gottlieb, and he was the weird guy behind all of this, and Nixon came in in 1970 and said, no more biotoxins, guys, you got to get rid of it all. And the army did. And the CIA tried to keep back a few, uh, a few uh, doses of uh, shellfish poison, which they then moved off to their own warehouse before all the stuff got destroyed. But that got uncovered in 1975 and destroyed. And that's the way this article ends. I don't know if he goes into more detail in the book, but essentially this is, this is a 40, 50-year-old story, guys, and it's all in the past and it's all done. And it was all Sidney Gottlieb which is the very definition of limited hangout. I think by this point, 
everyone in the general public knows something about MK Ultra, and if they know something, they probably know about, yeah, kind of, they use some LSD and stuff on people, and, and, so, and they might know about the prostitution houses and stuff. But that's really scratching the surface of this program, and it went much beyond that. It went much beyond Sidney Gottlieb. It went much beyond Fort Detrick. And even having said that, as if Fort Detrick cleaned up its stuff, uh, you know, 40 years ago, and now it's only about defense, right, guys? And don't worry, the Novichok had nothing to do with porting down just a few miles away. <laughs> I mean, these are the types of bigger lies that we're expected to swallow. So I'm not, I'm not accusing Kinzer of this without having read his book. I won't judge his book by its cover. I will go and read it. But at least this report in Politico only starts to scratch the surface of what we really know about this program. So we talked a couple weeks ago about weaponized mosquitoes. I'm sure you know, we're anxiously awaiting to see that Congress is going to get to the bottom of, of course, weaponizing mosquitoes at, at Plum Island and places over on the East Coast here in weaponizing the States. Weaponizing ticks. What's that? Weaponizing ticks. Ticks. That's right. Sorry. That's right. They've already weaponized mosquitoes. Sorry. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm so 2016. Um, I, I also actually even recently went over, I think there's another, there's a big book coming out about Frank Olson, and of course how the CIA dosed him and made him jump out the window. Again, James, it's really interesting to kind of see all this stuff again. It's coming out, but yeah, the more simple part of me says it's it's being sold to a conspiracy-hungry culture who's who've gotten a taste of real actual information, and now the powers that shouldn't be in the corporate places are rushing in to kind of fill that in. James, one other thing this reminds me of. Folks, right, remember the Martin Scorsese film from several years back called Shutter Island that was about a secret mind control lab run by the CIA, but it was just all one crazy guy played by Ben Kingsley. Don't worry, everything stopped after that. Our third and final story here on this New World Next Week episode will call some not unmitigated good news. Court says FBI must destroy memos calling antiwar.com a threat. In a major victory for antiwar.com, free speech, and journalism, a federal appeals court has ruled that the FBI must expunge surveillance memos that agents had drafted about the website's co-founders Eric Garris and Justin Raimondo in the early years following, of course, 9-11. It's been a long fight, and I'm glad we had an outcome that could affect future FBI behavior, said Garris, who now runs antiwar.com by himself, based in the San Francisco area. I wish Justin was still here to know that this has happened. You might recall Justin Raimondo passed away this past June after a long fight, of course, with cancer. Raimondo and Garris had sued the FBI in 2013, demanding it turn over all the memos and records it was keeping on the two men and their website. They won the case. And in 2017, the FBI agreed to turn over all the memos and settle their legal fees, $299,000. But the final expungement of two key memos involving intelligence gathering on the men and antiwar.com had yet to be expunged from the agency's record. So among myriad other reasons, the FBI took interest in Raimondo's writing about a 2001 FBI investigation of five Israeli nationals who were witnessed smiling and celebrating and taking pictures of the burning Twin Towers from a rooftop perch across the river from Manhattan in Union City, New Jersey on 9-11. Folks might recall us recently, very recently, talking about, of course, the dancing Israelis. They were, of course, eventually, you know, grilled FBI, CIA, but deported without charge and get to appear on TV later about it. Garris said he was relieved and elated that the court was able to end this ugly, ugly chapter for the website, 
though the government has the right to appeal, so this could actually go on a little bit more. But, Garris, in closing notes, I would hope this precedent will prevent the FBI from doing these things again, but we know it won't. It won't. James? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, That's very well put. Uh, In in fact, yeah, the one thing that I think I would object to in this article is framing this as a major victory for antiwar.com. I don't see this as a major victory. It is a victory of sorts. And at the very least, this will be expunged from the official record, so it cannot be made into part of the, uh, the official history. But the damage is already done. I mean, Ramondo's dead. It's not like the expungement of these memos is going to change the fact that he was surveilled and was put under all of this for decades because he had the audacity to be against the Iraq war and other uh, examples of ridiculous interventionism. So uh, so again, the damage is already done. Uh, this is a court victory, and sure, it's good for the, the historical record, but the damage is already done. And as, as Eric Garris says there, it's not going to stop it from happening again in the future as if it's not already happening right now to other anti-war activists. So it's a court victory. It's not a major victory. We'll take what we can get. But I think at the very least, we can use this to shine light on the fact that this is happening. This continues to happen. This will continue to happen until, um, well, until the FBI is disbanded. (laughs) Hold your breath for that. Well, and, and another positive I think that comes from this is that we do sort of we, – we get the information. We get the dirt of it. We get to see exactly what the powers that shouldn't be and how far they will go to kind of keep people down. James, sidebar as we wrap up this episode, I couldn't help but message to, to my parents earlier. I was like, hey, you know, while we're watching the great vaping panic play out here in the States, James, I don't know if you're catching this at all. Remember, it wouldn't be the first time that the feds have poisoned things to kind of make their prohibition point as they did. Poison alcohol, killing tens of thousands of people back in the day. Again, all this stuff comes out. We find out all about it. Yeah, they murdered JFK. Yeah, they yeah, they poisoned your alcohol. Yeah, they worked with Timothy McVeigh. But again, James, as you say, in a lot of these stories, what are you going to do about it? So in conclusion, I always like to remind folks, and again, I, I, I touch on a lot of these stories here and they kind of you know, ripple out into the larger pop culture world. But I talk about a lot of these stories every morning on my morning show. I broadcast news and music, memes, and more Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Mountain Time at MediaMonarchy.com slash listen. I would love for folks to come check it out, James. Excellent. We'll leave it there. Talk to you again in the near future. Thanks, buddy. Take care.